Some might argue that relationships, sociality, and how we approach them are a large part of what makes us human. The interactions we have and the bonds we form with one another are universally important aspects of our lives across all places, people, and cultures. How has this incredibly significant dynamic been approached in games? And just how impactful has its inclusion been? From both a global cultural and personal perspective, this month we explore the world of romance and relationships in video games. Hello, hello everyone, and welcome back to another fantastic episode of the First Person Scholar Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us here this month. Today we might be a few weeks past prime here at the tail end of February, but I personally thought Valentine's Day would make an excellent, if roundabout, excuse for us to discuss how relationships and sociality are approached in video games. So with that said, in addition to myself and our always brilliant EIC Sabrina, we're very excited to have the privilege of two guests joining us today, who I think, based on what I understand about the research, might have some very interesting things to say about the matter. So without further ado, let's go around the circle and introduce ourselves, beginning with our guests, Lynn and Sarah. Hi, Colin and Sabrina. Thanks for having us on. Um, so hi, I'm Lynn Dwyer. Uh, I uh, use they-them pronouns. I am a PhD student at Concordia University, and I study uh, non-monogamies and other kinds of digital intimacies, largely in, in digital games. Hi, I'm Sarah Christina Ganzon. I'm here, um, an LTA here at Concordia um, University. Um, my pronouns are she, her, and most of my research was um, when I defended my dissertation last um, last year. It was on mostly on otome games. So I do, I do a lot. On, I use, uh, do a lot on the um, dating um, dating sims, but also um, at the moment I teach a lot of courses in international communication. So that's me. Hi everyone, I'm Sabrina Skandura. I'm the EIC of FPS. You can find me at Sabrina Alicia SG on Twitter. And I just really like dating Sims, so that's why I'm here. <laughs> awesome. And once again, as always, I'm your host, Colin Walsh, and I can be found online on Instagram at CWGlassworks or at CWGlassworks.ca. So with all that out of the way, I gotta say, folks, I'm very happy to have all of you here today to bounce some ideas around with because I admittedly, uh, my experience with the kind of thing we're discussing today is actually fairly limited. We're talking, for me at least, uh, and if we're talking about my experience with like, you know, relationship dynamics or sociality in video games, uh, I'm really limited to things like, you know, the old Bioware titles, uh, like Mass Effect, Dragon Age kind of thing, as cliche as that might be. Uh, the Sims, Harvest Moon, some of the old dating Sims that were on the net during the days that Flash was like, you know, the best thing since sliced bread and uh, very predominant in terms of uh, engines on the internet. So yeah, I'm pretty bare bones in terms of uh, my understanding of how games have, you know, effectively or not effectively... Um, mimicked any kind of real uh relationship or social dynamic um but i mean these games i guess it's a place to start right so um how do you folks feel about some of these kind of more classical attempts at the medium how do you feel about the way that uh you know something as again as cliche as it might be something like you know an old bioware game or an old flash uh an old flash game how, how, how do you feel about this how how was that approach was it effective not effective what do you think Okay. Um. Yes. Well. Honestly, bio. Um. I think a lot of us, like, there, there are several people I know who came into dating sims because of Bioware. So I don't think that's a really, um, bad bad way to start. So like, I personally, um, started with a lot of like the bio Bioware romance, and this is like way back in like Kotor. And then I was, and I remember being so being so mad because like when I was playing Kotor, Juhani wasn't a romance because they took out the, uh, the 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 non straight options, but that was modded in. 
time. So I was kind of like, and I was into a lot of the modding community. So, and later on, I got into like Otome games. But like, I think, but um, even even like Bio, Bioware itself is a really good entry point for dating mechanic mechanics because that's like a lot of like dating mechanics give you really interesting character work. And I mean, this is the kind of like the, this kind of character work has been used to, I think, if I remember correctly, Hiroki Azuma, when he was writing his book on otaku, that was what he used to theorize like per- the dare, like all the character types. And he literally ta- argues that like data be- um, that people have like utilized database consumption or like basically love dating the same types over and over again. And this is like how they argue about the anime media mix. But I think this is a good way to start anyway <laughs> like yeah well so jumping in there well said because yeah i think that when i first decided to sort of approach uh like dating simulators as as a research interest uh during my ma most of the literature is really about bioware games like you do there's so much about dragon age mass effect it's just it's everywhere 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 um uh but just sort of like touching on something that I guess you sort of pointed out a little bit there, Colin, is that like, that sort of, there are sort of like classic setups that sort of tend to persist over time. So uh, you mentioned Harvest Moon. Um, uh, I did an entire MA on Stardew Valley and something that doesn't often come up, well, at least hadn't hadn't often come up for me, is that Stardew Valley is actually a Harvest Moon clone. Um, It's... (laughs) It essentially uses Harvest Moon like as its as its backbone, and then like builds over top of it. It's uh, it uses a lot of the same things, so you see repeats of a lot of certain kinds of mechanics. So a lot of um, uh, gift giving to sort of earn points and like earn enough hearts to be able to spend time with someone, um, or uh, a relationship with someone being a reward at the end of a quest. And so um, these characterizations can be like they can be really fun and well written characters, but we do often see sort of like an instrumentalization and an objectification that sort of can happen a lot in in dating sim. And I mean, I say this with love as someone who has put many hundreds of hours into Stardew Valley. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, we do kind of tend to see a lot of patterns in how um, uh, relationships are approached. But more recently, yeah, people are experimenting a little bit more. Yeah, and also to b- bounce off that, like, it's interesting, like, I know it's interesting we're, we're bringing the, the sub- on the subject of Bioware. Bioware. Bioware gave us, like, the kind of the gift-giving mechanic from Origins, but, like, there's also a bit that Bioware did in some of their other, their, like, for example, Dragon Age 2, that I kind of wish that we, we see that again, because you have the rivalry mechanic as a way of romancing stuff, so it's, like, it's an interesting way to sort of, like, um have a relationship like the rival like it's almost all like now it's almost always oh i have to say the right things in order to please this person but like um but with dragon age 2 you you don't have to do that you could actually antagonize the person into liking you that's like a little bit extreme but it gives us something else to work with and i kind of wish that we have that still could you imagine that just being in every single like oh my gosh i would totally so i've been playing a lot of the mobile dating sims like things like episodes or or whatever which is so ridiculous but um i can't imagine if that was in one of those uh mobile games like that the 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 amount of of uh like microtransactions that would end up becoming like the standard for any mobile dating sim if they use that specific mechanic would be insane. 
No, I, it's it's so funny you should mention that because I I remember recently watching a a, um, a video about how broken that mechanic is in terms of how it mimics like or doesn't mimic I should say real life social dynamics right um, and and it's I think on the whole like a lot of the time some of these uh, these dating sims whether they be something full out in terms of the actual um, you know point or attempt of what the game is for if it's made specifically to be a dating sim where it's attached as a mechanic like in the old bioware games i think for a lot of people this stuff is maybe a bit of a guilty pleasure uh like i know we commend the four of us right here to be open about it and talking about it that's fantastic but i think for a lot of people they do enjoy this type of thing uh, whether or not it is realistic or not because of course you can't buy your way to love i'm sure sometimes we all wish we could but there's a big difference between love and limerence which i could speak at length about uh, but but yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, what I'm trying to get at is like at the end of the day, I think it is a genre that that deserves a little bit more attention than what has been given in the in the past and something that is worthy of exploring and maybe looking towards something that is, you know, and as much as I love these more comedic attempts, like uh, Sabrina knows the exact name of it, but that one, the uh, the two guys from Game Grumps put out a couple of years ago, the yeah, you know, like the, the daddy one, that's daddy. yeah, but yeah. You know, that's fantastic, too. But I think there's, uh, at least in my opinion, I'm hoping there's a little... And maybe you can speak of this, because uh, is it Otomi Games? Is that how it's pronounced? Yeah, Otomi, um, Otomi Games. They're basically... Um, Otomi Games ha- are, are, like, has a, its interesting tradition in Japan, because it used... And, like, it's... The way I am usually describe it to people is, like, think Barbie games of the 90s, but with a lot more dating. Because originally, these were games that were created... To get um to get non dudes to play video games and they just added dating mechanics on top of it in but um like a lot of people remember Angelique for example the very first Otome game in 1994 for this like I think that was a su- still the Super Famicom so it's like really old but like people forget the fact that this is actually a strategy game and like and it's imagine this is pretty much a pink version of nobunaga's ambition but with dating like you have to get them your knights to do work for you but the only way to do it is like you have to befriend them you have to like to you have to do the social kind of interaction and people remember that most but if people forget like because i played that over the pandemic for for, for research with a friend and people forget that they had manuals in order to just do this it's like actually there angelique was actually very strategic and um to um to um to a certain point and people for uh, like but the point of the angelic games is to sort of like teach women like teach mostly women uh, like um to play video games in the 90s like one angelic was pretty much a strategy game um like and they also had people also forget that angelic also had an rpg element to it like there was a, an Angelique RPG that was like Final Fantasy VI, pretty much. It had a really um like uh, it, it had a, it had manuals too because the learning curve for the mechanics is a little bit hard. But like um, people forget that some of these were originally done to get women to play video games in the nineties, and to this day, I think it it still holds, and it got a lot of women to play video games at least to this day in Japan. So. Well, it's it's actually kind of funny that you're talking about the strategic aspect of it because that's kind of what I was getting at. Is like is in these uh, in these games, is there maybe a little bit more room for that strategy beyond buying gifts to win somebody's affection? But you know, it sounds like there is. But I also think it's really interesting that that was uh, originally like an attempt to get 
more women into into the medium of video games and you don't but it was effective in japan um but but i think a lot of what i was getting at in the the last uh last thing i was saying is that i think it's a guilty pleasure for a lot of male identifying people too like you know even myself when i was younger like i used to play more flash dating sims than i care to admit to and especially you know as, as a as a as a young man you know forlorn for love kind of thing like it, it can it can hit a, a, a you can scratch an itch kind of thing. You know what I mean? Especially when there is a little bit more strategy involved and you have to really think about how you're going to play into this social dynamic, this, uh, this simulated social dynamic. Right. So yeah, again, I think it's a very interesting genre that deserves more attention. Very happy. I have you two here to speak about it today. And of course it's you as well, Serena. Well, everything that you said about like strategy, um, I don't know, I think it also kind of points to how dating games kind of occupy this really weird space in the distinction that we make between like hardcore and casual gaming. And there's this sort of presumption, um, often a very gendered presumption, that it's just like, oh, women are casual gamers and men are like, oh, first of all, no, Um, (laughs) it's not the case for the most part. But dating sims, like people can play them like like grind at them essentially and like be very very uh well yeah it is it it can be like a hardcore gaming style um even like uh like i swear if i've I've seen like like hardcore stardew valley players where they've got multiple uh uh like multiple displays open and one has the wiki open and they're like keeping track of time so that they can strategize to give as many people gifts on their birthdays as possible in order to like maximize how close they are to everyone and it's it is those are like min maxing love <laughs> it's kind of like the economy of love and i love it the economy of love i like that oh my gosh that's interesting because that's a term that I think it's thrown around in, in real life a lot too, maybe perhaps in a bit of a different context. But in these games, you know, whether it is more rudimentary like it was in the old Harvest Moon games or in Dragon Age 2, uh, but, you know, I, I think there is a bit of an economy to what you have to do in these games. And that is, you know, it's part of the strategy of them for sure. But it's, uh, I don't know, I think that's an interesting concept to think that there is both an economy of love in these situations as well as something that we consider in real life, right? Oh, definitely. Yeah, what's also interesting uh, with a bunch of um, with, with a bunch of these is like it's dating sims have ways of like creating their own like um, currencies. Like I, I I know I discussed this in one of uh, in one of my pieces on Mystic Messenger and it how it creates time as pretty much a commodity because you really need uh, Mystic Messenger was that real time dating um, dating sim back in 2016, 2017 but it's like people need but in order to succeed at this game you need to be on your phone every two hours um, and as a result time becomes its own currency and like literally you're, the ones the things that you buy in this game are hourglasses in order to rewind or fast forward time and I, um, I remember specifically the cheating practice practices revolved around time as a result people were rewinding stuff on like um like the clocks on their phones and when people started like policing that it became like there were people who got banned <laughs> like um who got who got banned from mystic messenger because they were circling i'm admittedly i was actually one of those i got my account back actually but hilariously that like when i got banned it actually happened in our lab and my supervisor was there and she was like are you okay no i just lost my thing on I just lost. I think I just got banned from Mystic Messenger. You know what? I love that. I love that though. 
<laughs> because that's that's what I think that's what's great about these games a lot of the time is when we're trying to get our guilty fix or whatever we can you know get a little cheeky and cheat and get our guilty fix and that's something I absolutely love so I feel your pain I feel your pain there no and you're, you're like you're both drawing attention to something that I think that's really important too is like when we ask how do we want relationships to be designed in games there's this kind of balance to be, be achieved between like accuracy like resonance with real life and what's fun because what can be fun about it so often is the transgression and so like i i ended up um uh talking a bit about this to do with uh the witcher 3 the wild hunt because there's sort of a, a sequence in there where uh yeah so you're at, up until that point you're sort of romancing if you've romanced both Triss and Yennefer, so if you've romanced more than one of the NPCs, they'll actually invite you and they sort of, it seems as though you're going to be in this sort of like threesome situation. So of course you're like, oh, this is, this is kind of transgressive and fun and interesting. But the sort of Easter egg at the end of it is that, um, yeah, they tie you up and leave you there and then go do your own thing because they didn't, they didn't like that too much. Um, and on the one hand, I've been able to write about this as like, you know, a punishment for taking someone up on the consensual invitation to be non-monogamous. But on the other hand, there's sort of the fun of having sort of stumbled into something that you weren't, you know, you quote unquote, weren't supposed to do according to the, the sort of social world of the game. Um, so yeah, it's like balance between it's like, do we want it to be realistic or is and is realism actually fun for players when we're dealing with relationships? Yeah, and speaking of um, polyamory, and people forget the fact that um, I feel like dating, especially um, there are several dating sims that are made to be played several times. So in theory, it's not supposed to be monogamous, but narratively, they they make you date just one person within. But like they, uh, there, the, there are mechanics that actually encourage you to repeat and basically like and there's actual i remember there's like one sheriff game similar maker as mystic messenger that actually made one game that's kind of like um hinged on that they like in every replay um you um there's a hint that there's a larger narrative at work and then once you date everyone um there's the um you you get you get into the scenario where it's like Oh, what was happening is like someone was rewinding time so you could date everyone and you end up in the scenario. Oh, yeah, I dated everyone. Okay, we're all together now. So there's I think there there was that scenario in 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 Nameless and they're oh, like it was awkward I'm like wait, that happened? Oh yeah, that also happened. So but it was but it's interesting how like people forget the fact that these were things that are actually made to be but on the surface it isn't. So and you know what, that's something I really want to hear a little bit more about. Um, and Lynn, I think uh, you might be able to speak a lot about this with your research, but I do want to hear more about how non-monogamy is approached in some of these games. Because especially from the perspective that I've seen them from, uh, it, uh, like with my experience, I should say, I have only really seen monogamous aspects. I know in Dragon Age, you can get a little cheeky uh, with some of the uh, the relationships. Um, but I, I, I feel like the way it was handled, it almost seemed like it was more of an oversight rather than something that was actually intentional uh intentional i should say um but yeah so i am very interested in hearing uh, your perspective on how non-monogamy non has been approached in these games and uh, how, how you think it's going to be approached moving forward in them as well oh goodness there's so much there but i can <laughs> um yeah i mean uh well like the research specific to stardew i think part of the reason that i picked that is because it is just such a great example of how uh 
it, it isn't just necessarily a matter of options, but the way that a game is like framing those options. So unlike what you just described in this other uh, Sherrits game um, in Stardew Valley, if you date um, all six of the women in the village or all six of the men, never a mix because bisexual bisexuality doesn't technically exist in Stardew. It, it does, but it's not sort of like recognized by the system um, in terms of non-monogamy. Um, so, so if you, you have to date all six women or all six men in order to get this reaction, but if you do, the characters, it like triggers a cutscene where the characters stage an intervention and they shame you and all break up with you. Um, so it's a, uh, the, like the option is there, but it's, it's it's if you don't go to all six, though, you have wiggle room with five where there will be no reaction up until that point. So like players find all of these sneaky little ways to sort of like work their way around compulsory monogamy. Um, but still, like despite that kind of a cutscene existing there and it really framing, I, I think they, they, they call you slimy. They call you like it's 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 not nice, even though none of those characters ever say anything about you know, they, they don't have the, there's no, there's no script for acknowledging like a second partner or something like that. So you could like role play this as something totally consensual. And then all of a sudden, all six of your girlfriends are like, how dare you? Um, <laughs> this is, this is awful. Um, and so it's really kind of framing that choice as like a bad, irresponsible thing to do. And that's kind of where the issue is. Surprisingly, um, one of the best, uh, more recent, uh, sort of examples of non-monogamy in games that I've seen has been in Hades. Um, totally unexpected for me, but there are three characters that you can romance. And if you go after two of them, um, not only do they acknowledge that they are both in a relationship with you, uh, they say things like, who do you think encouraged me to ask you on a date? And things like that. Like they, they're all in on it. They're all friends. The two of them, you can catch them like having drinks in the lounge together. So they have their own thing going on um and as you're earning those relationships too the objects are more like icebreakers you're not really kind of giving them stuff to get them to to like you better uh the stuff that you give them is sort of more of an excuse to talk to them so hades has been a great example of a game that i think does non-monogamy in a way that isn't instrumentalizing the npcs it's not objectifying anybody and it's the first time i've really ever seen um yeah, like two NPCs talk about both being in a relationship with the player. Um, so yeah, go Hades, go Super Giant Games on that one. Oh, that's fantastic. And you know, we always love to hear examples like that here at FBS, where because in inclusivity is important, right? Representation is important in games. And I, I love it when it's approached in a very natural and organic fashion like that too. Um, because as you were speaking to, I think it is hard to find that in video games, especially in a, let's say, more niche situation like this, um, or non-heteronormative situation. You know, no, so I think that's a, that's a fantastic example. And you know what? It sounds like, uh, speaking back to the point you were making about striking that balance, it also seems like Hades did a great job in striking that balance between, like, you know, a hardcore simulation and a gamification of, of, of a romance, which is, I think that's that's excellent as well. So it sounds like there is some hope for the genre yet. Oh, oh definitely. And I mean, it also has a little hint of that that transgressive play that can be fun for everyone, too, because, like... Meg, like one, like one of the people that you can date, Megara, is sort of guarding your path out of the place you're trying to escape. And so, you know, it's not, it, it almost makes the fights your dates, um, which is something that I haven't really seen before. And I mean, I've seen um, sort of like fighting and dating combined before, like Boyfriend Dungeon, I think, took some steps forward in that direction. And you're like dating 
your weapons as you sort of move through different levels. Um, but it doesn't, It the one thing that it sort of, the, the note that it didn't hit for me was um, like interactions between partners again, like nobody in Boyfriend Dungeon really sort of goes, oh, we are both dating you and like have an explicit recognition of it as something non-monogamous. But yeah, H Hades, I think it yeah really manages to keep it fun and manage to integrate romance into yeah, like a, a what's the word I'm looking for? Like a roguelite uh, fighting game, um, which is totally unexpected. No, that that's absolutely fantastic. Uh, unfortunately, haven't had the pleasure of playing Hades yet. Uh, it is on the backlist, but I know if you folks are anything like me, your backlist is probably two miles long at least. So. <laughs> No, and like I said, I'm glad to hear that, uh, you know, it seems like the genre is still moving forward. Um, you know, and and on that note, looking at it from a non-Western perspective, uh, Sarah, is there anything that, uh, well, what's happening in the Japanese scene right now? How are these games progressing? I think this is the, the, the thing with a lot of, like, at least in the Otome game side of things, because um, a lot of publishing companies are, like, um, there, there's like the small publishing companies that have the porn games, uh, but also, but apart from that, most of it is being made by like the bigger companies like Automate by Idea Factory. And Angelique feels like an exception to the rule, despite the fact that they pi practically pioneered the um, like the the category in the in, in the 90s. And it's by the way, um, Angelique was made by an all female, an e all female team within Koei for 10 years from 1983 until it got published in 1994. They're still doing the Angelique series, but the the thing is, um, like, they don't have a lot... Uh, um, they, they're not publishing a lot. I know they're coming up with a few, but it's, like, a little bit slow in coming because I think it's similar... I think it's similar to the way it's working. It's because a lot of these developers are also probably working on other projects, too, similar with, like, with Ubisoft, you got Child of Light. So there's, um, so there's that. But also, apart from that, there's the Automate... Um, automate, but then you have to. You, uh, a lot of them are owned by the bigger publishing companies, um, like um, Kadokawa. So they kind of gave us the predetermined visual novel format, where in, in reality, the Angelique series was so much more than that. But at the moment, it's mostly just visual novels with the same types, the same anime and manga types, because it's what sells basically so and that's and that's what's and that's what's happening and what's what's happening but it's like um there are um there, i do think there are some um um interesting um thing um things going um going on by some um like a lot of indie makers because like i would say a lot of the otome like there's a um otome games have branched out like um outside um, outside of japan like um you have um love and producer that was um, launched in China that had billions of like uh, billions of players. We don't like he, uh, Love and Producer is called Mr. Love Queen's Choice here, but that has billions of players in China. And to to a point where there was one time when a character had his birthday, someone paid like there there are a group of fans who paid money to put his face in a like um, a birthday greeting in one of their skyscrapers in Shanghai. So. Yeah, so that that that's a thing. That's that's a thing. So we um so it's in, um so it's interesting how a lot of these have branched out in Japan. Like um, Love and Producer is also really interesting on its own. Although I, the weirdest thing about it is that you um it's like it's a gotcha game. So it's like it's um you move you progress by card collection, but the car the higher car higher tier cards ha um cost a lot of money because you have to play the gotcha so many times. But like it's interesting how they 
put the microtransactions over there. And I think that's what's going to happen, especially when a lot of um, developers are pushing towards mobile. Well, there's a lot on mobile recent, like recently, but like, yeah, it's going to be mostly microtransactions. <laughs> a lot of it is on microtransactions. So... You know that's uh, that's incredibly interesting to see that not only are we seeing this uh, this dynamic, um, you know, this, this I want to say parasocial, but I don't think that's the appropriate word in this particular context. But like that, we're seeing this, you know, this simulation of a social dynamic, this simulation of a relationship dynamic, not only gamified but being monetized to the most extreme extent now, and apparently in a very very popular fashion. Uh, so again, I think that goes to show like there is a very wide ranging appeal to this genre, especially if you can slap such a hefty price tag on it in the form of something like a gotcha game. And and, and ex- you say billions of the B, right? That's we're talking about a significant portion of the world population now that's hooked on a game like this. I think that's uh, on the one hand, fantastic to see that this genre really has such a wide ranging appeal. But on the second hand, also a little bit cautious, because anytime something gets monetized to that extent, I, I start becoming a little bit cautious, of the ramifications. Yeah, like that's also like that's also the uh, that's also the thing I think with a lot of uh, because um, um, it's interesting too where the um, because especially with um, I actually got a book um, a how to make an otome game book from Japan. Um, it's um, and it's interesting how they call it as um, it's not a game itself; it's an otome game scenario. So it's all of, like the way. Like at least, um, at least when when you're thinking about the pipeline, when when it comes to these manuals and also how to make a bunch of these games, it's all about concentrating cr- about creating a kind of scenario for the player. And it's interesting too, and how this reflects on the microtransactions in, for example, love and produ- love and producer, because you're essent like yes, you 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 get the most powerful cards, like um the people that you could date by by the gotcha machine but also you get the most cute um, the most interesting scenarios in this so if you want the like sem- like the slightly kinky scenario or the wedding scenario etc etc they're all on the cards they're not on the basic set that you could just get every uh, on the normal gotcha turn you need to go for the special event gotchas for this so yeah it's like a like a paid upgrade from vanilla heteronormativity unlocking the dlc that's great (laughs) that's fantastic no that's that's interesting to see that you know a a situation like that is going to be locked behind a paywall because again it goes to show the appeal of you know as we were saying non-heteronormative ideas that they are and in a sense so appealing that you actually have to lock them behind a paywall for a lot of these people uh, just to segue a little bit here, we haven't heard a whole lot from Sabrina over there. So I'm just saying, uh, I just wanted to ask Sabrina, is there anything you wanted to add to this conversation, particularly about maybe some of the experiences you've had within the SIPs? Yes. <laughs> so much. Okay, so uh, to preface, um, I, I have like a bit of a Sims obsession. I mean, what millennial doesn't realistically, um, but, uh, but especially myself. Um, so... <laughs> We were actually like, as we we're talking about earlier, um, the concept of polyamory, I was immediately thinking about how the Sims and like, no matter what we're into the Sims four, which they still keep updating. I know that game released like a quite a while ago, but they still are, you know, adding updates to it. And so much so that like a few years back, they added the ability to sort of like, and not explicitly, but essentially allow for like, you know, d- um, uh, either being like transgender or like uh gender non-conforming and things like that like they kind of tweaked it a bit and yet they still don't allow for polyamory 
And so you have to install a ridiculous amount of mods, which naturally I do, <laughs> just to allow for for like, and the thing is, is it's not even allowing for polyamory because like a lot of the mods, so I don't, I don't play as much Sims 4, admittedly. I, I keep going back to Sims 2 and 3 for personal reasons, um, which will be, you know, that's a conversation for another day. But you can't actually fully be in like a, a consensual polyamorous relationship. It just, you just get to turn jealousy off so that nobody, you know, yells at you and thinks you're cheating on them when you go and make out with your other partner. So then like you can't create, like sometimes I just want to create the most blended family ever with like, with like four husbands, like just for fun. Like, cause why not? And like, you can't, we can, but it, it's not quite the same. And then it gets all complicated. Sorry. I was just instantly talking about how I'm so happy that Hades deals with that so much better than like our makeshift workarounds that we have to do in the Sims. <laughs> well, I mean, I think in, in, previous versions of the sims i think it was like it was the case that yeah you could like pursue someone else but then it was almost like they would move into your home and like, your other partner almost like didn't mind they were like okay but 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 no one's really like interacting or spending time together and that kind of gets at like what we were talking about earlier too like with, with the sims it's like okay it's technically allowed but it is is it actually like carrying the things that make polyamory potentially radical because polyamory can also be really normative right like it can be very uh a very privileged uh, uh position to have it can also be um yeah it can be really heteronormative um but uh yeah i think fable did something similar where you could have multiple partners but you had to buy a different house for each of them so it's like different households we can't all mingle like it's not mingling not allowed so the sims like yeah it's, it's like it's not quite not quite there yet and yeah players come up with like all of these wacky mods to like find workarounds for it and i, I think in stardew there's there's one and it, it's called the polyamory mod but it literally puts all of your partners in the same house as you and elongates the bed so that there's like 12 pillows on it um, it's, it's like yeah it's great you bringing up Fable reminds me of this was like forever ago. Um, I when I I used to play Fable two a lot, and I remember like looking up, can you have more than one um wife or or whatever? And uh, so or no, I I think I was looking up, can you divorce somebody? And then like there was I found a thread where it was like, can you divorce somebody? It's like your way of divorcing is either leaving your wife in the forest to get like attacked by bandits, or like. Because it was like, can you divorce without killing them? Like, that was essentially the thing. But then somebody else commented beneath talking about how, like, you can have two wives, but it gets really difficult to maintain. <laughs> and instantly I'm like, this is amazing because it's like, an, like trying to, trying to allow for polyamory without actually trying to allow for it. And like, I don't know. I just, <laughs> sorry, I'm just too busy laughing at the fact that, like, this is the conversations that gamers were having. They were trying to figure out, like, how can we allow for these, you know, different, you know, relationship or romantic situations um, with, you know, working within the confines of the gaming mechanics and then players coming up with creative solutions. Leave her in the forest to get attacked by the It's like, I can't, I can't. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm done. <laughs> And then the next question is, how do we, is, is there a way to do this without doing a murder? Because I, I think Skyrim does the same thing. Like you can't, you can't divorce your partner. Like you have to, you have to kill them to make them go away. <laughs> it's, 
Like, what does that tell you about maintaining relationships? Apparently, every game developer thinks that it's, you know, it's too complicated. Just, just get rid of the partner. It's fine. <laughs> well, and I think what, what Sarah was saying about, um, like, the way that a lot of Otome games already structure this stuff and, and uh, what, what comes up when we were talking about Hades is that you don't actually have to have a super complex system in order to do it differently. Like, you don't have to design something super intricate and novel in order to make it work. I don't know. Um, and yet, you don't have to leave your wife in the woods to get attacked by bears. Um. No, and I think, it, I think it all comes full circle, too, in terms of these conversations that we're having right now. Um, in terms of you know striking the balance or how these mechanics accurately mimic or don't accurately mimic or perhaps make a mockery of some of these things. Uh, but I think that all comes down to the idea of play at the end of the day too, whether that's a, a play in a way that's a safe way to express something that we can't or won't or don't want to in our, our regular lives or even just for the sake of it. Like Sabrina was saying, you just sometimes want to make the most mixed happy family possible with four dads and a bunch of adopted kids. And there shouldn't be anything wrong with that just to express it as a form of player fantasy. Um, Yeah. So I I, I think, again, all these conversations come full circle. We want to find that balance. But at the end of the day, these are games. And in our games, we do generally want to have the highest level of, uh, let's say, uh, let's say master, highest level of, um, level creation over that form of play that we possibly can right like we want to kind of be the masters of that environment and change things to the way we'd like them for whatever reason and that's our own we're play- here talking about ones and zeros simulations and things that we do to have fun express ourselves and relieve stress right so i think that's a big part of the appeal of a lot of these games and again uh something that i don't think we need to be as guilty uh about as i may have been at the beginning of this podcast but yeah, you know what? I'm really glad we we had a chance to have some of these conversations today. And I'm just wondering, is there any other topics anybody wants to hit before we uh, start wrapping things up? No? Awesome. Well, honestly, I just want to say it was an absolute privilege to have everybody here today. Uh, Sarah, Lynn, it's it's really been amazing. Uh, this is honestly probably one of the, uh, the one of my most favorite episodes I've been on so far. I think we had a lot of smiles and laughs together. So thank you very much for your input on things. Uh, I love talking about things that, you know, a little less than ordinary. And I think February was a great opportunity to talk about this with this podcast. Uh, so yeah, again, thank you for being on Sabrina. As always, thank you for joining us as well. I really appreciate you coming on to help run out the cast. And uh, Sarah Lynn, you're always welcome here at FBS. So once again, we're just going to go around the circle, do a little uh, introduction, let's say. Tell the folks a little bit about yourself, about your research, and where they can find you on the web. Right, yeah, thanks for having both of us on. This is a lot of fun. Uh, uh, my name is Lynn Dwyer. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram um, and potentially Mastodon, although I'm still getting that all worked out um, at Questing Queerly. Uh, and uh, yeah, if you have uh, anything to do with uh, dating games, non-monogamies, etc., I'm uh, working on doing a player study. It's uh, actually getting non-monogamous players to talk about their own gaming experiences. So if that's of interest to you, I'm always open to talk. And yeah, thanks again. Um, hi, my name is Sarah. I'm Sarah. Like I like if you um like I'm on Twitter, um Sarah at Gans underscore Ganzon and also Mastodon, although I'm figuring that out. <laughs> um so yeah, um if you want to talk about Otome Games, Boys Love, or any of sim- some anything similar, feel free to just hit me up. So yeah. And I'm Sabrina Scandera. I uh can be found on Twitter at Sabrina Alicia S G. 
Um, I tried to be found on Mastodon. Can't figure that out. So eventually that will be a thing. And if you want to talk about Dream Daddies or episodes or The Sims or Fable, like I am, or Hades, I am all about that. Like talk to me all day, every day about relationships in those games. Or they're, they're it's it's a little hobby of mine. <laughs> awesome. And once again, I'm your host, Colin Walsh. It's been a pleasure having you both here. And I'm really glad we could have this conversation, especially about, you know, things that are a little bit less than normal, a little bit less than uh a little bit less than common in terms of this genre as a you know, I know this genre as a whole isn't something that a, lo a lot of people, well apparently a lot of people if there's a billion people playing, but not something that let's say a lot of people in a Western society are, you know, openly talk about or talk about their experiences with every day so again i feel very privileged to have you both here today very lucky to have the conversation and i'm you know very happy with the conclusions we came with with a lot of the questions we asked thank you so much for your time and our listeners at home a big thank you to you as well for tuning in and we'll see you next time thank you so much The First Person Scholar podcast is produced by Colin Walsh in association with the Games Institute at the University of Waterloo.